Hello, hello. It's Brooke DeVard, and you're listening to the Naked Beauty Podcast. Welcome back. I am so excited for you all to hear my discussion with Darian, who I just absolutely love. We talk about our predictions and the future of beauty. I just love the way her brain works. I love the way she thinks, and she brought so much to this conversation. Before we get into that, I want to introduce a new segment on the podcast where I will read beauty questions from you all and do my very best to answer your burning skincare, hair care, body care, makeup, self-confidence, whatever it is you want me to address, all of your concerns, I will address them here on the podcast. If you have a question and you'd like me to answer it on the show, please email me at nakedbeautypodcast at gmail.com. Make the subject line beauty question so I can go through them all and give good details with your question. Like I need to know your skin type. I need a loose idea of your routine now. I need good context to give you a good answer. But we do have our very first question which I love because it's an SPF related question and we all know how important sunscreen is to skincare. So let me get into it. This first question is from Gisette Murray. She says, I live in Detroit and winter makes my skin dry. Same girl. I have sensitive skin and I am brown slash medium complexion. So most sunscreens give me a really ashy effect. I use a lower SPF in the winter versus the summer. And I want to know what are your top three sunscreens for women of color that have multiple benefits and optimal ingredients? Chisette, I love this question. Let's just get the obvious recommendation out of the way because I talk about it all the time. I love Supergoop's Unseen Sunscreen. If you want something that is truly invisible, their sunscreen is the one. If you wear makeup, it also acts as a really wonderful primer because it kind of smooths your pores. Now, the Unseen Sunscreen from Supergoop is a chemical sunscreen, but it's a clean chemical sunscreen. It has this great velvety finish. And over the summer, I just find myself reaching for this time and time and time again. So that's my first recommendation. The new one that I've discovered recently is Bolden SPF 30. That's Bolden, B-O-L-D-E-N. It's actually a company owned by a black woman, which I didn't know at first, but it made me love their product even more. And they have an SPF 30 brightening moisturizer. It has vitamin C in it, which brightens and it counteracts any oxidative damage. And you said that you do a lower SPF in the winter, which I do too. And I think SPF 30 is a little low for summer, but for winter, I think it's just perfect. And I've been reaching for this most days in the past few months, like probably since November, I've been just going to my Bolden SPF 30 brightening moisturizer. I think it's fabulous. And finally, black girl sunscreen. The fact that you get dry skin in the winter made this come to mind immediately for me. This formulation has a ton of natural oils in it, which also gives the sunscreen a beautiful dewy finish. So it's $16 for three fluid ounces, which is actually really great value for money. And black girl sunscreen, it has carrot seed oil in it, sunflower seed oil, jojoba oil. It truly feels hydrating and it disappears on your skin. You will have no white casts to worry about whatsoever. And for people with oilier skin that are hearing about all of these oils and the hydration and the dewiness that don't want that, I have heard that Black Girl Sunscreen is coming out with a matte sunscreen soon. So you have that to look forward to. Okay, let's get into this discussion with Darian. I love you guys for listening. You know where to find me on Instagram. It's at Naked Beauty Planet. That's the community. I'm at Brooke DeVar. That's my personal account. And if you're new here, welcome. Subscribe to the podcast. And if you've been here for a while, I'm so glad we are reunited, that we're reconnected, and that we can be part of each other's lives each and every Monday. All right, guys, thank you so much for listening. And let's get into my discussion with Darian. You'll know real when you get it. It will say eBay authenticity guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like a gem, sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts. Real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, 
Solon logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. I am pleased to reintroduce and bring back Darian Simone Harvin. Hi, Brooke. Oh my gosh, I'm so happy to be seeing you. Yes, I feel like so much has changed. So much has happened since our last conversation that was back in 2017. That is crazy. That's three years ago. I remember I had just moved to LA and I was about to move to LA. Yeah, okay. I was about to move to LA and I think I was in town for the Grammys or something like that. Like I was in town for something I remember. Fabulous, yes. It was something really cool that I haven't been to since, but so much has changed for both of us in beauty and with what we're working on. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I want to jump into a conversation with you about the future of beauty and how you see things changing. But before we get into all of that, I feel like I just want to give the listeners a little bit of background about you as just carving your own lane in the beauty space. You had a podcast before podcasting was even a thing. When did you start your podcast? 2015? It was like two, it was either 2014 or 2015. But yeah, I had it for three or four years. So yeah, but you've always been ahead of the curve in terms of like media trends. And I think I first came across your work maybe when you were at BuzzFeed, but mm-hmm. I, I saw your name a lot and I knew you were doing really interesting, innovative things. So I was like, who is this Darian? I like need to know her. Our worlds converged. I think we met in New York a few times and I was so excited yeah. to get you on the podcast. But even since that conversation three years ago, you have been doing amazing things. I remember when I was in LA, we went to the beach and you were like, it's going to come out soon, but I introduced yeah. the Ellis Ross for the New York Times. Yes. And there was that. And, but since then, you've, you've covered, you've been in the New York Times other times since then as well, right? Yeah, I've been, I feel like I regularly, honestly, am in the New York Times. I pitch yeah. stories. I have a good relationship with an amazing editor there. So yeah, and now I honestly feel like a lot of my time, more of my time now is honestly focused on my newsletter. My goal is to make that a bigger platform in some multimedia sense. So it's kind of been a mix of both, but I've been putting more effort just based on where I see trends going in media and also like what I want to do and who I want to be. I've been acting strategic as, as strategically as I can for this like landscape that is very much in flux, as you know. Yes. But you are only 30 years old and I'm just so impressed by the fact that you really have kind of built a career for yourself without necessarily like a model, right? You're a, mm-hmm. beauty, you're a journalist, you're a reporter mm-hmm. um, and you cover beauty, but I can't think of anyone who has a career quite like yours. You're kind of doing something totally unique. Yeah, I think it is unique in the sense that it's actually more of like what I don't do and more of what I do focus on. Like, I feel like a lot of what the beauty media landscape is, it's like, it's very PR driven. It's about sales. It's it's also about like um, reviews and and also education too. And I mean, that's what we grew up reading and, and loving. And so I think that there are fantastic, amazing people doing that work. And I think like my approach is very much based off of one, my experience working in a newsroom, but also too, I'm like, okay, what do I not see? What do I want to see more of? And I do think that like beauty at the intersection of politics and pop culture, it's always been around. It's not a new idea. It's just about like focusing in and nailing down on it. And I actually think that we're going to see a lot more conversation in 2021. And I want to be a part of it. I want to be a voice in it. So that's what I'm like, really what I'm gunning for, you know? Yeah. I love that. Even just being specific about your beat is beauty at the intersection of politics and pop culture, because you're right. We don't have this. I try to do that on this show as well, but you do. I agree. There's a lot of PR driven, review driven beauty conversation, and it's so nice to kind of get deeper into it. So I think we can't really talk about beauty and the future of beauty in terms of what beauty looks like this year without talking about all of these celebrity lines that have come out. We've got JLo, we've got Pharrell, which let's talk about Pharrell in a second, but I actually like yeah. Justin Caroline. Yeah. Um, 
Drake. He's a little different. He's a little different. Exactly. Drake just came out with a line of candles, which I didn't know. Millie Bobby Brown came out with makeup, which I like kind of forgot about. That was like a whole scandal. Mm -hmm. It seems like all of these traditional pop stars are dipping into the beauty space. But what I'm interested in talking to you about is it feels like last year, the big trend was influencers dipping into the beauty space, right? So you would have someone that was really big on YouTube and they were doing suddenly like Jackie Ina did a collaboration with Anastasia Beverly Hills, or you had someone that kind of was a traditional beauty vlogger partnering with a big brand and suddenly you'd see their makeup at Sephora. And that I actually loved because it kind of felt like you had these really trusted, credible personalities that built up an mm-hmm. audience and then they were pairing with the right companies to get the resources they needed to kind of create the products that they would love and that their audience would love. Now I think what we're seeing is like everyone wants to be in beauty. Like Naomi Campbell is doing beauty vlogs now. It's like a very different space. And I don't know if it's that they've seen the success of Fenty and they thought, you know what? Why should Rihanna have all of the fun? But what do you, what do you think about this trend? Do you think it's here to stay? I think it's very interesting because I think we also have to think about it with with also the rise of TikTok too. So I think Jackie Aina and even somebody like Desi Perkins, huge YouTube personalities that have essentially built like their own media companies and media platforms through their channels, they have been doing these collaborations for quite some time, right? Like they they kind of know whether it's like Desi Perkins with Benefit or Jackie Aina with Anastasia Beverly Hills, or, you know, she's had collaborations before then too. And now if you look at them, they have their own brands now and they're starting to build their own companies. And not only that, but they're not in the traditional beauty space of makeup. Jackie Aina has a candle brand right now, right? And which we can kind of all, I think that is kind of like also fragrance too, which we'll talk about. But like, I think that now what I'm starting to almost feel like is like some of these YouTubers have almost graduated in the sense of like, we don't, we don't view them as people who, they're like the next business CEO as executives to me. They're entrepreneurs and I think that they already basically have these built-in audiences. And now what we're seeing is I felt like a lot of the collaborations are coming from the Gen Zers who are making a big name for themselves on TikTok. So it's Charlie D'Amelio with like her collaboration with Morphe 2, Morphe 2, which is basically like their line for Gen Zers or Addison Rae. There's some twins out of the UK who who have like a makeup line too. So now I feel like it's going in that direction. I think what will be like interesting and in like what I'm interested to even hear from you on is like, I also feel that like COVID and Black Lives Matter has made people more vigilant and also skeptical of who they listen to, who they believe in and who who they think their, their values are aligned with. I wonder about people's buying habits. I also wonder if this time has also made us very fatigued in conjunction with all of these celebrity lines coming out too, especially within beauty where I wonder if there will also hopefully be more of an emphasis on like, there's a whole like cosmetic chemist, dermatologist, like medical side of like the beauty community on Instagram that almost feels, it feels separate than like, influencer collaboration stuff. And I feel like people are going to want more knowledge or maybe are going to be a little bit more critical about like taking that extra step to research stuff. So we'll see. I think that like our gatekeepers and the people who we trust is going to look different. And I hope it looks different. I think there needs to be a change and more of an emphasis on like fun, but also like, you know what you're talking about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like a hundred percent. Well, yeah. that's, that I think goes to the point that we were saying that for the Pharrell line is a little bit different because yes. he worked with Dr. Elena Jones, who, as you know, is my dermatologist. Mm-hmm. I've seen her since I was 15 years old. And I know she's like no nonsense. She's like not with the extra nonsense skincare. So I know that yeah. it's formulated with integrity. And I love that he brought her on and developed it with her. I think that a lot of these celebrity lines popping up, you can feel that they're just slapping their name on it. You don't know if there's integrity behind the line. But to the point that you made about COVID and Black Lives Matter, I think that's so interesting. I was thinking about my own buying habits. I think what's changed for me is it's not only that the quality of the product and the ingredients have to be good and I have to like know what's in it and know what it does for my skin. I also have now moved to the space where I need to know more about the founder or the actual company. And like, what does their employee base look like? What are they doing to help 
elevate Black voices in the beauty space? What does their Instagram look like from a diversity standpoint? Um, it's it's really there are a lot of like natural indie beauty brands that I would have been more vocal about supporting their skincare. But then when I look at the way that they show up in the world, I'm like, this is just not it. Or I've right. heard stories behind the scenes about the founder being just a literal nightmare. And I'm like, you know what, this is not the kind of company that I want to support. So I think that has changed. Yeah. I think also this makes me think a lot about the girl boss era, which I feel like we are just coming down from (laughs) where we literally framed girl boss as almost like under the guise of feminism and social justice in the sense of like, women need to be more visible. But what we found out was that a lot of these founders that were branded or touted themselves as girl bosses were actually using the same tactics and behaviors as men to get to a bottom line still, right? And so I agree. I think that like, we are now probably more skeptical of, not like skeptical, but just digging a little bit deeper with like, what, like, I think the big question is like, what do you believe in? What do you stand for? And people really, really care about that, especially with brands and where they put their money. And I think a part of it has to do with like, sometimes I wonder if we now expect brands to show up in the ways that like maybe the government has failed us in some sense or the ways that the government was supposed to like assist us or or come through or or be on our sides. I wonder if because we don't feel, we don't always feel protected by them in the sense that we now look for brands of like, this is where I'm putting my money. We know that you have all these, all this money. We also know that you have a lot of internal work that you need to do. How are you going to show up for us now? Especially because the voice of the customer now is like more important than ever. And I feel like brands are now paying attention more than ever. So it's a lot. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> it's a lot. It's a lot. And it's always, you know, it's always disappointing when you hear that some of these women, these girl bosses are like bullies, frankly. Um, yeah. What's the Instagram account? I want to say it's Estee Landry. Estee yeah, Estee Laundry. Estee Laundry, where they they always expose all of this bullying within the beauty industry. But, and I I follow it and I, when conversations get really loud, I start to pay attention. But mm-hmm. I feel like what's interesting, I haven't ever heard anything negative about Emily Weiss of Glossier. She kind of remains... Like, I know. Unt- which which makes me happy. And I love that they Glossier created that fund for um, small Black beauty brands. So I know that people have mixed feelings about Glossier and the quality of their products. But I think from an integrity of the founder and the ethics behind the company, I think they kind of, they, they've remained untouched. I should first say that just full disclosure, I consulted for Glossier with like marketing and social strategy when I first got into beauty because I was kind of exploring the space and what I wanted to do. I'd always been a fan of Glossier. I'm very much like a Glossier kind of girl. Like me as Darian as like a human, mm-hmm. it's like what I'm into. I think a part of like the success with Glossier is when you think about, I think that there are other people who are front facing beyond Emily that I feel like I know personally or who I trust who are women of color, especially within like their community space. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like, I wonder if that has been helpful, but I also feel like their messaging and even, even from a communication standpoint is just like, I feel like they really care. That is like the thing that I, that I take away from it in that they are obviously probably trying to do preventative things as much as they are just trying to be forward thinking and creative and interesting. And they continue to be a part of the conversation. They, you know, they, they kind of were branded as like this makeup, no makeup. And then, you know, they started to develop more products and it's become more of, you know, applying more steps. And so you're right. We don't hear a lot about Emily in the news, and she's kind of been able to stay away from from controversy, even when there was, remember there was information or there was some news around that kind of came from some of the workers within their within their retail stores. Yes, yes. So and they responded to that too, very Yeah, exactly. Said yeah. Yeah. yeah, so a year from now, I mean, I'm sure that uh, quite frankly, if I was another brand, I'd probably be watching how Glacier has navigated this and figuring out what I can do. Absolutely. Especially these brands with a lot of money, like the Estee Lauders of the world, like they could do a lot more. Okay. This is a totally separate topic, but one that's very top of mind for me because I got pregnant in January. I have not 
Darian worked out in a year. Like I literally haven't worked out. Brooke, yeah, let's have this conversation. This isn't random. Let's let's talk about this. Because but but I see you out here. You're you're still working out. You're doing your hikes. You're living your best outdoor life. But I have not gone to the gym in a year. This is pre-COVID. I was just January was really busy. In mm-hmm. February, I was traveling. I was in London. I was back and forth between the West Coast. I was just busy. And then COVID hit. And then obviously all the gyms closed. And then I was just pregnant and like not yeah. feeling it. But now I'm like, okay, got to get my life back. Got to start working out again. And I see people masked in gyms. And gyms to me feel like a COVID hotspot. Like it's just, I can't. But my challenge is... I have always relied on classes to be motivated. Like I love an instructor screaming, you know, do 10 more reps, push yourself. Same. Like, I need that. Like when I'm at home and I put on a little YouTube video, it is like the most half-assed workout ever. It barely counts as a workout. So I'm curious for you, like from your perspective, looking at this space, but then also, so I want to hear from you as like the reporter, but also you as just Darius. Yeah, yeah. What do you think is kind of the future of like working out and fitness in this kind of pandemic that we're living through? I still feel like we are living through literally like the influx and the uproar of an industry because, because fitness work is so people driven and it's, it's, it's so much about sometimes like, again, the individual instructor who maybe like, whether it's a soul psycho class or like, I like, I used to really like to go to these hot Pilates, these hot Pilates classes in LA where the room was like around 85 degrees and you did Pilates and I loved it. It was literally called Hot Pilates. Hot Pilates. Okay. Love that. <laughs> it's in West I Hollywood. Hear, I hear about this class in LA that's popular called The Class. Do you know oh, yes. Class? Yeah, but I've never been though. People are obsessed with that. Okay. So I have seen a variety of things. I have gone to just instructors who I love, who have started Zoom programs. I have seen instructors who have who have actually just like expanded their clientele into these group classes and have women all around the world and create programs that include nutritional packages. Barry's Boot Camp in LA, they started to do workouts and had treadmills in a parking garage. So that's wow. like a taste of what LA is doing while these parking garages are not technically being used in some places because people aren't going anywhere. And I think also just like the rise of the app. I feel like we saw some studios try to either collaborate and become a part of like a collection of maybe classes that you can take from different instructors under one hood or uh, like Peloton, right? You know, I like mention this because now this is like what I'm on is like the Peloton app has, even if you don't have the bike, just has workouts. Oh, does and it? Are they free? Yes. They're, it's like $12.99 a month. Okay. And so the one thing I think is obviously the most disruptive about all of this is like the high quality fitness experience has went from being at least in a city upwards of $300 a month to now being $12.99 in your, right. in your living room. And right. so I guess like the personal part for me was like, I realized very on in like my, my workout journey. I've probably been really trying to work out consistently since, I don't know, like the past six or seven years. Right. And I think it really wasn't until like the past year and a half where I realized how, how, how quickly you can develop body dysmorphia and how easy it is to develop body dysmorphia. And I had to really tell myself that this can't be about me losing weight or else I'm not going to be the kind of person who I need to be, or I'm going to continue just to have body dysmorphia. It needs to be about... mm -hmm. Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm just Mm -hmm. curious, how did the body dysmorphia manifest itself for you? And how did you kind of recognize it was happening? I knew that I was going down the wrong path when I just started to weigh myself multiple times per day. And then also I felt like I was just looking in the mirror and looking for like these very incremental changes in my body. And it was at that point, I kind of started to catch myself. And I was like, this really needs to be about me feeling strong as a person Mm -hmm. and like sourcing confidence from that versus like, I'm skinny now. Right. Mm -hmm. And I feel like during quarantine, I actually started to lose weight. And I think a part of that was because I actually started to eat more. I wasn't eating enough while I was also working out and out in the world. And I was taking meetings at night with these dinners with tons of alcohol, you know? So like, it just like nothing was really adding up. And I feel like with quarantine, 
I actually love working out at home now because I feel like it's, yeah, because I feel like it's cut the commute time in my, in like my productivity and it's enhanced it because I'm not traveling or going anywhere to go work out. That's so interesting that you say that because I feel like the traveling and going somewhere, like getting dressed, getting mm-hmm. actually physically there and then paying a lot of money for the class all contributes to me putting in effort. And when I don't have to travel, when I'm not paying a ton of money, then it's so it's I think for me, it's a self-motivation issue. So how do you how do you get motivated? Like, do you put on a cute workout outfit and like clear time in your calendar and say, okay, I'm going to do this app workout? Yeah. Well, I think something that helped me was that I, during the beginning of quarantine, was taking these like Zoom classes that were at a specific time and they were with other people. And they were with my Pilates instructor named Dayla Anderson. Um, She's a fantastic teacher. And she basically started a program for like her students before COVID happened. And I felt like still being like Wednesday at nine, at 9 a.m., that was, I was still showing up to a class. And also I knew that there were other people showing up too. So I still think that camaraderie was really important. Mm. I just think that like now, now that I'm kind of in the habit, I have my, my gear, I have my weights, I have my ankle weights. And because I started seeing results, I became really motivated. Right. Mm. And so it's been good for that. And obviously the weight loss, which I I do want to lose weight, but I also, it's just happening. It's more about me. Like I'm trying to keep up how I feel and the way that my body looks in like, but also it's like, I want to see myself get better. I think one other thing as well is I always used to feel like I needed to do like an hour workout. And sometimes I just have time for 25 minutes or a half an hour. And I feel like we forget that, like you Mm -hmm. don't have to do this full blown workout. And so that helps too. Can I ask a question for the zoom Mm -hmm. classes? Do you guys all put your cameras on? Yeah, not everybody does, but I know most people do. It is kind of weird. Helps with accountability (laughs) though, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. That's interesting. So I hope that I have a similar experience to you and start to feel like the weight loss will just happen. Because after you have a baby, I wish I could say like, I'm above it. Like, oh, I don't care how much I weigh, but like, I do care. So I want weight loss to happen. I want to get motivated to start working out. So I'm going to send you some, some good classes. I do like the Peloton app. I think you should try it out. And the music is really great. This is what I feel like SoulCycle should have done. Everyone is saying that, that Peloton (laughs) ate SoulCycle's one. Totally. Okay. Sephora, a place that I love so much. Love. Um, And, you know, I haven't, my Sephora trips just aren't hitting the same. I've gone in a few times since the pandemic, but I recently got my makeup done for a photo shoot. And my makeup artist here in New York is actually a woman that I met at Sephora. She did my makeup at Sephora. It was bomb. That's Mm -hmm. also like a pro tip. I mean, it's not a tip anymore because you can't get your makeup done in store. But like, if you're at a store and someone does your makeup, I'll just get their details, like get their cell phone number, get their Instagram, and then you can just... Mm -hmm work with them on the side. So anyway, she she's amazing. Her name is Sonia and she's one of the managers at the Flatiron location. So I was like, so what's the vibe at Sephora? We had this conversation in November. Okay. She was like, some days it's like dead, 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 dead. She said at the beginning of the pandemic, it was dead. But she said, people are still coming in, but it's just very different. Obviously you can't test anything. She said that she had a woman kind of storm out because she wanted to take off her mask and t- try on foundations in the store. And they were like, miss, it, it's a whole pandemic outside. This is, you cannot swatch foundations on your face. She like stormed out. She was like so pissed that they wouldn't let her take off her mask and try her foundations. So obviously you can't try products. But she said the things that people want are changing. There's a lot more emphasis on, no surprise here, eye products. So brow products. Um, mm-hmm. No one can really see the lower half of our faces. Um, but she said people do come in asking for a full face of makeup for Zoom. Like they're like, what's going to look good on Zoom? What's going to look good on camera? She said less lip gloss is being sold, um, mm-hmm. but more people are coming in and asking for matte lipsticks. So lipsticks that don't transfer. Um, which I thought was really interesting. I, with Mm -hmm. my mask, I don't really bother with lipstick. 
but it's interesting that people are looking for kind of like transfer proof makeup. And then I think the the biggest, biggest difference is this rise of skincare. People are getting so into their skin during the pandemic, which I think is a great thing. And maybe that's just because I love skincare, but more- I'm happy for people. Yeah, right? Like (laughs) get on board. Because I feel like makeup's more fun when you feel like you have good skin. Like when the base is good, then makeup becomes this like, ooh, this is just like a fun little pop. Um, So yeah, that's so true. So tell, tell me your thoughts about how like people's makeup and basically just like the Sephora experience has changed or Ulta Beauty or wherever you buy your makeup and then how you're personally changing your approach. Well, I've gone in Sephora a few times too, have always been a Sephora girl. And I think that, beauty retailers and being able to like go into a beauty store. I feel like you're like me in the sense of like, I love the experience of testing things, of trying things, of smelling things. Like beauty is the thing that like you have to show up for. Yes, you can use AI to see what a lipstick may look like on you or an eyeshadow, but it's something about feeling it and touching it and seeing it in real life that I think the, I'm curious to see how the beauty industry and beauty retailers will start to figure that out. I think one piece of like news that's interesting, but also like a pandemic proof kind of learning is that Ulta will now have a space in some targets. And I think the thing that maybe became very apparent is like, well, how do you pandemic proof your business? You put it in an essential store that was told that they did not need to close during COVID. So- Yeah. So I think I I was also doing some research just on like what people are doing and not doing. I thought something that was interesting was that setting spray sales have grew 9% month by month, according to NPT group. And I feel like that's obviously because of like people are maybe wearing a full face of makeup or something. Maybe they're going somewhere and while they're wearing their mask in the meantime, they're just trying to prevent any transfer of makeup. Interesting. Interesting. I would think setting spray sale. Like I have not used my Urban Decay up all night setting spray once since the pandemic because it's like I'm not anywhere. I'm I'm in and out of places. I'm not like out and about with makeup on all day. But that's interesting. I never thought about that from a mask perspective. Yeah. Yeah. And then I think like just general trends that we'll definitely see more of is it's like we're starting to see a little bit more of it now. But I feel like beauty retailers and big beauty brands are still trying to hold up their, no matter what, what Trump is, is, is doing or declaring about the environment and what um, requirements businesses have to holding up to the Paris agreement that he got us out of. Mm-hmm. I think that there are still um, retailers that are trying to hold up their end of the bargain and sustainability packaging, things of that nature are, I'm, I'm curious to see what will happen in this space because packaging is expensive to innovate in packaging is incredibly expensive. And then when you bring in like the sustainability piece, how do you make sustainable packaging? I'm curious to see what will what will come out of that too. And then I think like something that's also interesting for both of us to keep on thinking about is we are actually entering a new decade of makeup and skincare. Now, right, we're entering it during a pandemic where people are wearing less makeup or they are maybe emphasizing different parts of their faces that they never were super into, mm-hmm. or you're just super into skincare now. So this is where we're starting. But I think that makeup is going to pick back up. It's a, it's an artistic medium, right? So right. I think that people will always love it. I feel like I've gotten more into the eyebrows versus the eyeshadow or the eyes through every through all of this. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's kind of where where I'm at. And it's also very, it's just exciting to kind of, see and figure out what what will happen. But it seems like people are all over the place, which I like. I like that people's beauty habits change because I kind of feel like that's what makes beauty exciting for me is like, no, I can't tell you, Brooke, like you need to stop doing that. It's like, no, I can do whatever I want technically. Um, (laughs) So You, you brought up Trump, which I'm so one of the things I'm looking forward to most in this year is just hearing his name and talking about him less, but we will Mm -hmm. have, you know, the first woman as vice president, first, you know, black woman as vice president. Do you think that there will be discussion about Kamala Harris and the way she looks and the way she self-presents and her hair and her makeup? And do you think 
that discussion is warranted or do you think it kind of takes away from who she is as like a political leader? Like if, if someone reaches out to you and says, Darian, we want you to mm-hmm. write a piece examining, you know, Kamala's, you know, beauty. Is that, is that a piece you'd be excited to write or would you feel like, eh, I don't know if we need to look at her this way? Yeah, that's a good question. I I feel like I've thought about it and I, I will number one, start off by saying that I love the way that she presents herself. I really like her hair. I think her hair, I love her hair. I just, you can tell she's been wearing her hair like this for a long time, yep. but I think that like what it really comes down to is like, does she have thoughts or things that she has to say about beauty or her hair or her makeup? Does she have strong feelings or things she wants to share about that? And has she made it apparent? You take somebody like AOC, who she lets you know that she wears her red lipstick for a reason. Mm-hmm. She did a video with Vogue where she talked about why she thinks beauty is important for her and how she understands how it influences the way that people view her, both as a public figure and a, and a fixture in pop culture now, but also when she is at the White House, right? When she is at her committee meetings. And so if someone were to come to me, I would love for it to be more around maybe, maybe she changed her appearance or maybe she did something that was like a symbol, like a symbol of something or a sign or something, or maybe she changed her hair. I think that she will change her hair. I don't know. I kind of want her to just because um, but who, <laughs> just because I love, like, I, I, I love, I love a new haircut moment, yeah, we, but we I love a transformation. Yeah. But I also think, I think about also like Rudy Giuliani, who like his hair dye oh was dripping. What honestly a nightmare to witness as, as, a, <laughs> as people. But like, I think that also if Kamala's, you know, beauty and aesthetic is going to be a conversation. I want to make other women's too and other people and, and especially other men and even yes. Joe Biden. I think what I'm really interested for, especially like being relatively new to this space is feeling like, how can I cover beauty in like the White House press room? Like, what are people wearing? What's going on? What's different? Mm-hmm. And also what's resonating with people. I think it's based off of that too. Like if I see, maybe there's something about an eyeshadow or lipstick or something she wears that people point out, I'm going to look further into it to be like, should we be caring about this? Or are we just making things up in our head because we are just desperate for, for real people who know what they're doing and saying and talking about? Yes. Yes. I totally agree. I want to talk about skincare trends in terms of product trends. So I feel, feel like one of the okay. big trends for this year will be like refillable products, which I love. Um, mm-hmm. Human Race for L Skincare Line is refillable. So you can order, you can basically request the refills. You don't have to get a whole new package every single time. And a few brands have done this for years, um, but I do Mm -hmm. think it's something that um, is here to stay. And then I feel like in 2020, one of the things that I started seeing were reusable face masks, like sheet masks, where you could soak them in different products or reusable eye masks, where it wasn't this like one-time use thing which I love because I've always felt, I've always struggled with sheet masks and people using them mm-hmm. because it's so much packaging for like one little mask. Um, so I'm not really a sheet mask girl for that reason. But what are, what are, in your opinion, are the like kind of product trends that you see happening for this year? Yeah, I'm really interested to see where personalized skincare will continue to go because we're starting to see, well, Curology, I felt like was, for a while, kind of the big name in personalized skincare. But now we see other places like Proven starting to get more exposure. And also I think personalized skincare and how they decide to use that data. I think that is something else that we have to think about too, is like, are they, are they using it? Are they going to, and if so, in what way are they using it to make a product or a software? Is it something that they're, they're selling in some sense? And so I think personalized skincare. And I'm also interested to see if there will be any innovation within, with, um, within SPF too. Yes. yes. Like, can we finally get a mineral sunscreen that blends? Yes, exactly. And I think that there is so much innovation in this, in this um, sun care, sunscreen space in Asia. And a part of these also has to do with regulations around um, ingredients that they are able to use in Asia and what we are not yet being able to use based off of the FDA, which I don't even really know. I, I don't ever get the sense that the FDA truly cares about beauty. And if anyone would like to email me and tell me differently, I would 
love to be proven wrong, but the F, but the FDA um, announced in 2019 that they are essentially starting to reevaluate the types of ingredients that they deem as like, or that they um, approve to go into U.S. made sunscreens. And so I think that's something that a lot of brands are itching for. And I'm curious to know, like, what will come from that too. And if it, and if the year will be 2021 or, or maybe just the very beginning of it. Yeah. I feel like it takes a long time for those innovations to happen. Totally. So what about ingredients? Like I feel like in the mm-hmm. beauty industry, it's so interesting, like certain, especially in skincare, certain ingredients, they like pop up and they become so popular and you just hear about them over and over and over again. So I feel like for me, one that I see a lot now is like rice powder. I'm seeing come up a lot. And then I'm, I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Bucketchoil? Bucketchoil? I think it's Bucketchoil. I actually am not 100% for sure. Bucketchoil? Yes, which is people are saying it's kind of like a, a natural retinol. I'm seeing that in more and more skincare. But are there certain ingredients that you feel like have been popping up as like more and more popular and will continue to pop up? Yeah, I'm really curious around um, like herbs and flowers and kind of people maybe extracting not like less essential oil things for the face, but more of using, seeing more things around like plant power or superfoods for the faces and things like that. Again, something that's always been around, but I think that what it, what it is honestly for a lot of the ingredients that end up becoming buzzwords is it's like hyaluronic acid, for example, is not something that is new technically to being in a product, but for whatever reason, it's become a buzzword. Maybe it has to do something with like glow and moisture and and how we're all trying to glow now and attaching that to an ingredient. But I think what's always important to remember is that a lot of wherever there's a trend, there's history Mm -hmm. and whatever you can learn about an ingredient as you start to, you know, as you see it marketed on your, your Twitter feed, there's probably a backstory too, you know? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Because nothing's really new, right? Exactly. New things they've been around. What about the future of nails? There was a very controversial... Also, it's so funny to me. Actually, I shouldn't say it's funny. It's just, it's interesting to me. I feel like the beauty community is very... um, People get very like whipped up into a tizzy about things. There was an Mm -hmm. article that Jess Delfino wrote um, called The End of the Manicure for the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, and it received a lot of backlash. Do you, do you know about this article and the backlash it received? Yes, I feel like I know. I've read the article. I've also been in conversation with nail artists about how they felt about it. I haven't spoken to Jessica about it, who's, whose work I've, I've read. And, you know, she's somebody within yeah. the industry and everything. She's been on this podcast. I, I always appreciate her point of view, but I think this article was very... I mean, she had to issue an apology on, on her Instagram. I personally think that the response from the article, I think it warranted the New York Times to also take a deeper look at, w- at what was published too. Hmm. Because I think that it's one thing for an article to create backlash. I think it's a, another thing to, in, in addition to that, there being valid points that arose from the conversation. And I think that the big thing that stood out to me was that article represented the viewpoint of Jessica and the people who she spoke with. And so she said in her, she issued an apology and in a medium post about the people who she interviewed and the perspectives that that she took. And I think that what is so we important... Should, sorry, we should say yeah. what the perspective was. It was basically like, in short, that manicures are dead, that people are just embracing their naked nails now in the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was essentially what it is. And I do not doubt that that, 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 that that is true. But I think what's really important within beauty, when we approach these kinds of angles, is to make sure that you are also pulling in the perspective of people who that's not their their experience when it comes to beauty. And I think that as much as there were statistics within the piece that supported her point, I thought that there is also data and statistics that show that um, sales around DIY nail 
materials, people doing their nails at home, press on nails, what what kind of data inf- information, how can we also acknowledge that that is something that that is happening and that people right. are doing? And I think that the reason why people get actually so caught up in nail culture and, and they get rolled up about it is because this, this is actually a culture. This is not just yes. a utilitarian thing for so many people. Right. And in as much as, you know, nail artists and nail techs are going to, I think it goes beyond, beyond getting defensive. I think that this is their livelihood Mm -hmm. and it's something that they don't just view as a skill or it's not just about the women who you know you see a few times a week in in the in the bustling nail salon it's also about the women who are looking for more to get more exposure and representation and more opportunities around their art and and like literally what literally here with our with our with our nails that took probably my i think my appointment yesterday was an hour and a half to get these nails Yes. These took like three, these took like three hours to get done. Can you see yeah. that there? And I'll shout her out right, right now. Her name, her name is Gracie and she responded within her own outlets and she's a, or she's the editorial nail on Instagram. But I think that like something that good was a valid point that she brought up was that even if something was published in the sense of it didn't include other per- perspective other than, you know, women are doing less around their nails. I think that there was an opportunity to have a conversation that could have included both nail artists and Jessica as the journalist who was reporting to say, okay, this is what else is is happening. And Mm -hmm. I just kind of thought that like her turning off her comments and I understand that people were being trolls and being mean, but I think it also made people feel like people who work in the industry and who serve others weren't being heard. And so- That's I think, yeah, yeah. I appreciate you helping me see that perspective because it, it felt like a lot to me for like one little article. But I think just now you've helped me realize it is a culture. It's not just about getting your nails done. Like nail art is a culture. So we were talking earlier though about how. Um, so I so since my son has been born, he was born in September. I've been getting a blue manicure every two to three weeks. Um, his name is Mavi, which means blue in Turkish. So I do a little blue manicure for him. And it's like my moment. You know, yeah. I leave the baby with my husband. I go, I like get a really elaborate manicure and like, I love it. It's just like this one little thing that I do for myself. This amazing manicure you have, this is the first manicure you said you ha- you've gotten in months. Yeah, since February. And wow. you know, I just- nice and long. Think well. No, these are not my nails. Oh, these wow. are a, a prey. These are a prey. The gel are they do? Yeah, they're gel extensions. And so I just felt like something was missing from my personality. Literally, <laughs> like this is like an outlet of like this is Darian. <laughs> and honestly, I started really wearing nail art consistently maybe two years ago, only because my nails have consistently been really frail. I'm also very, I'm, I'm very hard on my hands. Mm-hmm. I'm a nail bite, like all of these things that it just didn't make sense financially for me to even just get a gel or something really basic. So it was always about me filing, clipping. I really wasn't even always the nail girl. I don't want to front like I was because there are so many girls who literally, mm-hmm. since they were, they were getting acrylics at 13 years old. Like their mom was letting them get, you know, going to the salon at 13 years old. And that wasn't me because I'm just like kind of a boy. When it, like I'm just rough on my hands, yeah. but um, I just love it. And now with the prey, I feel like a, or the gel extensions or the dip can, can handle my lifestyle now. And they're a little bit better for you than um, acrylics. So yes. yes. I, the fact that these are my natural nails is really mind bending to me. Cause amazing. I, but I've never had long nails. It's just like something that suddenly developed. And it's because I also stopped picking off my gel. That is like mm-hmm. death to your nails. Yes. Um, okay. I want to hear about what your favorite beauty trends are. What are, what okay. are the new things people are doing in beauty that you are excited about? One is more of this like idea or what I'm seeing happening. And this is like beauty inching into the streetwear space. Ooh. I should say that something that I, I love streetwear. I'm a I'm a big like sneaker girl, have been since I was in high school. And so I have always felt that there was a lot that beauty could learn from streetwear and drops and Fashion is very different, obviously, than like beauty in the sense that beauty products can expire. They like they don't, you know what I mean? And and 
in fashion, you know, pieces can become collector items and they build up value over time. But I think what we are starting to notice, even if you look at Supreme, Travis Scott and Drake, let's just take these three people. So Supreme dropped a red lipstick recently in collaboration with Pat McGrath. Travis Scott and Drake both launched candle lines. Drake had actually announced his, which I did not catch. I did not catch that Drake was coming out with candles until they were on sale at Revolved and sold out within the blink of an eye. And then I didn't know Travis Scott is, has candles too. Yeah, Travis Scott. You know it's so, and this is why this is kind of leading into my next trend about like the boys, the, the boys in skincare was I noticed that the day that Drake's candles went for sale on Revolve, Travis out of the blue just dropped his collaboration for sale on his website with Barreto. And it was oh. a perfume and it was a candle. And oh, wait, so what's that called? I forget what it's, I forget what it's called. Let me look it up. It's is called it kind of like, like written with like handwriting. Yeah. It looks like chicken scratch, honestly. Yes, like okay. it's called space this. rage. Yeah. Space rage. I've been seeing this, but props to him for partnering with Byredo. Cause that's like, Byredo must have, do they have like new people in marketing? Cause the, the Isamaya French collection was everything. Like, I feel like they are really innovating lately. They are. And I really liked their, did you get any, any of the product that was around? They like released a makeup line and yeah. the packaging is gorgeous. Yeah. The packaging is gorgeous. I have it all actually. And, but the makeup mm-hmm. artist they worked with, Isamaya French is like so innovative, but even just the shape of the mascara wand being different. I'm like, yes, like let's create new shapes and ideas. Who says it has to be this kind of like plain tube? Exactly. And so I think that it's kind of to the Barreto and the Trap. They both essentially launched their candle fragrance product line on the same day. And I just think that guys are dramatic and we <laughs> always forget this. And so as we start to see more, I think, lines that emphasize men in skincare, I will be interested to also see what people like Travis and Drake, who are clearly pop culture figures, but also heralded within the streetwear space, I think specifically, they are mainstream, but also a slice of their audience is like the complex con guys, right? And so I'm very interested to see where all of that will go and and a little selfishly too, because it's like what I'm into. And then what other beauty trends am am I like really excited for? Like you, I'm very excited to see more of the reusable masks and eye patches. And I actually just bought some eye patches that are the the dough the do I don't actually know how to pr- properly pronounce it yeah the the dough eye patches and so I like stuff like this because I am in fact obsessed with eye patches and but also <laughs> hate packaging yeah. <laughs> would hate packaging you'll know real when you get it it will say eBay authenticity guarantee and you'll feel it maybe it's a head-turning handbag a watch that says it all jewelry that makes you look like a gem sneakers and streetwear so fresh every step feels fly when it comes to style and luxury ebay gets it they're making sure the things that you love are checked by experts not just any experts specialized experts real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience so when you see that shiny blue check mark that says authenticity guarantee shop with confidence every inch stitch Solon logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. Okay, well, that's a perfect segue into what are the beauty products that you feel like you have discovered lately that you're obsessed with? Okay, so I started overexfoliating. Happens because to all of, of us. Happens to happens to the best of us. Not yes. afraid to admit that it happened, and a part of it has to do with the mask knee, which. I just want to say that as much as it's about the mask, you also need to brush your teeth before you put your mask on. I think that can be helpful too, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so just a little, just a little tea, a little shade, whatever. So 
with that, I really discovered and enjoy Crave Beauty's um, Great Barrier Relief Moisturizer. Okay. It's this formula with ceramides and, and oils. I just think the formula is really gorgeous. And I felt like it smells amazing. It also gives me like this, like a little bit of even just like a glow after applying. I like the way it sits on my face. And I felt like it has been a huge contributor to me recouping from the overexfoliation. Your skin looks amazing, by the way. Thank you. I am also, I feel like I'm constantly also struggling with hyperpigmentation, which I've just kind of realized I will always have to use preventative measures to prevent mm-hmm. hyperpigmentation. And yep. so with that said, I love this um, this brand, uh, Topicals. Yes, I keep hearing about Topicals. It seems like a very cool brand. Tell me more. They have two products. I specifically like Faded, which is essentially, it is a cream for hyper, for, for hy- that I use for hyperpigmentation. It smells horrendous. It does not smell great, but I kind of love that they decided in this age of fragrance and debate around fragrance that they decided to essentially what I think that they're creating is this cult product that is effective, highly effective and very much works, but smells horrible. Almost like the, um, P50. the, the P50. Exactly. Yeah. I actually want to write a story about this, about like legacy products that they smell horrible, but I really have just been using Faded by Topicals. The founders are two women of color, one black woman, one um, one a Chinese woman. And I just think that they both are creating something that is for the, their Gen Zers themselves, I believe. And so, yeah, I, I really like that product. I like the way it sinks in. It doesn't feel like a film over my face. Mm-hmm. And, and I feel, feel like... like- it's worked well in terms of hyperpigmentation. I do. I feel like it's kept my hyperpigmentation at bay, but it's something that I really apply every day now to kind of as like a preventative manager. Cause I've just kind of realized I'm always going to get a pimple here and there. And so therefore I'm always going to have some hyperpigmentation someplace. Right. right. Yeah. Anything else you discovered this year that you're loving? Besides the Milk Makeup's Vegan vegan Milk Cleanser, which I just thought, which I really enjoyed. I felt like that became a popular product. I, oh, I think tried that one. Yeah, I like it. It's creamy, it's moisturizing, and it's effective. Okay. I like it. Okay. Well, I feel like this almost gets a little bit into DIY, but I'm going to say it anyways, because I was so inspired by you of creating my own body oils. Yes. Let's talk about it. This is my favorite topic. People, I don't know what I need to do to get people to take the step or the plunge to create their own body oil. But once you do it, is there a more luxurious experience? There's no more luxurious experience than slathering on an oil that you've created scented with essential oils that you've selected on your skin. I agree. And you, again, you got me into it, but it was also just like, I'm a body oil right out the shower kind of girl. I don't love a lotion that I have to put on after I dry my skin. I just want to be able to almost like, okay, I don't need an an additional extra, extra step like lotion. And so the form, the, the one I'm using right now, tell me what you think. It's two ounces of sunflower oil. It's an ounce. Yes. It's an ounce of pumpkin seed oil. And then... Yes. And then I did some drops of, I'm loving the combination of grapefruit and black pepper. Ooh, love that. Very chic and sophisticated. Thank you. I love that. And it's also, I bet the grapefruit's very like invigorating. It's very invigorating. And the black pepper, which you wouldn't think was like something that you would want in a in a body oil, but it really just helps to kind of heighten the senses yeah. and it smells amazing. Yes. Oh, that sounds like such a good blend. Have you, have you ventured into creating your own like facial serums or facial oils yet? No, no, not yet. Should that be my next thing? Maybe that a face oil. That should be your okay. next thing. And like, you can keep it simple. You can just do like jojoba oil or argan oil. That can be your next thing. Or making your own. You already have pumpkin seed oil. I love pumpkin seed oil as an uh, oil cleanser like using the oil cleansing method. Ooh, okay. I don't know if you remember this, but the last time, one of the last times you were in LA, you we were driving from the beach and you left a pumpkin seed oil in the back of my car. Oh my God. I don't know if I ever told you that, but I did keep it and I would literally like use it on my body like while I was driving. I'd be like, oh my God, my hands are dry. Yes, I love that. <laughs> pumpkin seed oil is very underrated. A very underrated oil. Very underrated. A great oil. 
Oh my gosh, yes. I like miss LA. I want to like go back to LA. I want to go, I want to shop at Erewhon. Like, I think I may need to live in LA at some point in my life because I think you love it. I want to be an LA girl. I want to go on hikes. I want to like eat like all like good, healthy food. I want to just be outside all day. How have you, because when we first talked, you were just moving to LA. Now you're like in it. You're like in the LA scene. Mm -hmm. (laughs) How is beauty culture in LA different? Well, two things. One, LA is like the home of, of, of the beauty of you, of the YouTuber in a lot of ways. Do you see them out and about? Sometimes, not honestly, very often, but I will see them once in a while. And so the beauty scene here itself is very like glitz, glam. It's like the contour, it's the eye, it's the eye makeup. It's the, it's all of that when you go out to events. But I also feel like definitely an emphasis on spirituality and wellness and beauty. And you see a lot of facialists who will incorporate spirituality work into their special, their, Mm. their services and things like that. Crystals, Reiki, maybe setting an intention, things like that. So I really enjoy, I've just recently started going to Reiki and I kind of think it's life-changing and like almost something I need to do like once a month to just help to sustain my, my, my energy. Yeah. And, and what does the Reiki practice look like for you? It's, I know it's energy work, but how does Mm -hmm. it, like when you go in, what, what's actually happening? Yeah. So just to give people a, like a, like a background on Reiki, Reiki is essentially use of drawing out symbols with your hands to move energy around your body or to get rid of maybe energy blockages that you may have. Oftentimes they may be aligned with the chakras in your body mm. or kind of like the state of your aura. And so I have gone to a teacher who they, what I'll normally do is we'll have like a conversation before we start and I'll be like, this is what I'm thinking about, or this is what I'm struggling with, or this will be on my mind. My last one, I really was like, I want to open up my heart chakra more. I feel like I've been really closed off and like bitter in some areas of my life. And so I want to work on that. And so we'll go in and keeping all of that in mind. And she might say something or sometimes depending on the, on the, on the Reiki teacher, they may see a sign or a symbol, or they may, they're also going to like focus on areas of your, of your body where they feel like energy isn't flowing. It's an interesting experience that I never thought I would be into or that would be a part of like my practice now, but but it LA is. girl now. You gotta yeah, no, I'm an LA girl. You got to get into the spiritual stuff. But <laughs> it, it's interesting. It feels like you have to be able to articulate, like you so perfectly articulated, like I want to open up my heart chakra. Like, could you go in and be like, I want to find a man? <laughs> well, in a way that was like kind of what I was saying without saying it of like, okay, I notice that I feel this way towards men or I am letting my past experiences with men dictate how I show up in the world. Right. And it is also affecting other areas of my life and how I show up in the world. But what I will say for, I feel like I am just now starting to become more well-versed in talking about this stuff. Yes. And And I I do know that you go to a therapist because I've seen you talk about it on Twitter. Do you feel like therapy has helped you find the language to articulate these things? I feel like, yes, in the way that generally with therapy, I have to explain how I'm feeling in this way that like this person can understand so they can help me. And that has helped and that's gotten easier, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I would say it's helped. I love that. I want to try um, Reiki. And when when we can travel again, I'm definitely coming back to LA for like an extended period of time so I can do these treatments. Yeah, for sure. Any beauty mistakes you have made this year? So many eyeshadow mistakes. I mean, <laughs> if you even like look at my old beauty headlines, you can kind of see where I've tried to experiment, whether it be with like hair or my eyeshadow. I've been really just practicing my eyeshadow, trying to get get my skills up. I feel like you and I have the same eyeshadow taste because we both, I feel like we both love like a brown neutral eyeshadow. We both love the Kosas 10 second liquid eyeshadow. Exactly. um, In element, that's that's the go-to color. But where do you feel like you've had missteps? I feel like I have had missteps recently actually with um, color correction. I feel like there is some deeper work I need to do maybe around like a hyperpigmentation or maybe just something that like is never going to go right 
way around my mouth, but oh, yeah. I still like, feel like skin around your mouth. That's that's yeah. very common. I think that's just how people's faces are. Yeah, I think so too. So I'm not too stressed about it, but I do like to know how to color correct it. And so sometimes I feel like I will not color correct enough mm. or I will color correct too much. And then my face will look orange or I don't let it set mm-hmm. or something like that. And so I've been working on figuring that out, but I've definitely gone wrong with that. If you even just want to look through my beauty headlines for a laugh, it's like, I think people kind of assume I'm going to be great at beauty because I'm like reporting on beauty. And as much as I wish that was the way that it worked, I'm still, I'm still a student. So yes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Are there any beauty trends that you observe that you're just over and you want to retire? Like you want people to just give it up? I want to see more wig installation variety. I feel like all the wigs are starting to look the same to me and I get, it's a look, it's a very, it's a very specific look. It's on trend right now. Like the wigs are laid. There's such an art and a craftsmanship to installing a wig that fits. The baby hairs that they do. I'm like, how? Yeah. I don't, I'm, it's honestly, if you've ever just like watched the YouTube videos where like, they don't even really talk. They're just like putting the wig oh, on. I watch them all the time. It's insane. Yeah. I'm, I'm in awe. I'm in awe. I don't v- really view that as a, as a trend per se, more of like, I'm interested in the innovation in the space because mm-hmm. it's not going anywhere. I actually saw something really cool and it was like, kind of like this, this like rubber ish headband and you apply it before you put your wig on and it helps to keep your wig on versus the glue around your edges. I'm very interested in that. That feels much healthier for your hair. Totally. Okay. Well, final question. You know, it's coming because you've been on the show before, but when do you (laughs) feel most beautiful? Oh, I knew that this was coming. Why didn't I think about it more? (laughs) I think I feel most beautiful when there are like a variety of things going on. So one, I would say from a physical appearance, I love when my hair is done the way I want it to be done. Not like it's slipped back in a ponytail because I was working out. It's, Mm -hmm. it's dirty. Like you haven't washed your hair in almost two weeks. Like I like when my hair is like this, I feel very confident in like, this is me. Mm -hmm. This is Darian. I like when my, when my nails are, are done with amazing nail art, that feels like an extension of my personality. And I feel most beautiful when I feel strong, both Mm -hmm. from a like mental standpoint, but also with my body too, just going back to even our conversation about the gym. I like when I feel sturdy almost in a sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think it's all just can be a good reflection of also like my mental state and going back to even the Reiki and and me not feeling nervous about the place that I'm at in my life, but feeling very much like how I'm showing up right now is how I'm meant to show up. And that is why I feel most beautiful. I love that. I love that. So beautifully said. And I feel like also a great way to think just having had a birthday, right? Like as mm-hmm. you enter this new year, it's like almost like you want to remind yourself when you feel most beautiful and create that as often as you can. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Darian, for coming on the show. I will link to where everyone can find you, your Substack, your newsletter, your Instagram account, your Twitter, because you guys should just follow Darian on everything. And you're at Darian pretty much everywhere, right? Yeah. I'm at, I'm just my first name on Instagram and then I'm Darian Simone on Twitter. And yeah, I have some really, I'm, I'm like amping up the beauty reporting a, a ton in 2021 and beyond. So people should, should keep their eyes peeled on stuff. Amazing. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 